It's wonderful to be here with you. Let's turn our attention to God's Word. We find ourselves back in the book of 1 Samuel this morning, where we're going to be looking at um, a large portion of Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 9 all the way to chapter 10, verse 16. And and so we're not going to read the whole text beforehand. We're going to go through a lot of it. There's going to be some I'm going to paraphrase. And your homework is to go home and read both of these chapters just to make sure that what I told you is right. And here's the thing. God's Word is so good, it will only bless you to be able to go home and read it yourself. So First Samuel chapter 9, and I'll just begin by saying the title of this sermon is that when God calls, God empowers. When God calls, God empowers. What has God called you to do? When God calls, God empowers. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, would you be with us while we look at your word? Um, We think about your calling to King Saul and how we'll see he's overwhelmed Or he should have been overwhelmed by this sense of your provision for him. Um, In his failures, in uh, the things he could have never written into his life, you weave that all into a story to be able to give him confidence that you are with him every step of the way. And he needs to know that because you're calling him to something very, very difficult. We've been called to difficult things. We've been called to be faithful in our marriages. We've been called to be friends and roommates. We've been called to our particular vocations. And we've been called to be faithful to you. And in all of that, we can seem overwhelmed. But when you call, you empower. So as we look from the, at this story, would you be with us by your Spirit? We give you great thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Israel has asked for a king. That's where we left it off in chapter 8. They wanted a king like all the other nations. And God obliges by giving them a trophy king, a show king. He comes from an important family. He is wealthy, powerful, tall, dark, and handsome. But one of the great lessons of 1 Samuel is that it's not what's on the outside of a person that matters, but it's what's on the inside that counts. And what we find with King Saul is that on the inside, at the level of the heart, he lacks character, and he lacks courage. He's full of insecurity and fear. And what he lacks most is what he needs most, which is faith. And his lack of faith is exposed in this passage when God overwhelms him with the evidence of divine care, provision, and love. Every step of the way in Saul's little journey that we'll find him on, we see that God is with him, 
guiding him to where he needs to be, empowering him by his spirit with what he needs to succeed and confirming his calling by his word. And he's going to need all that assurance because he's called to be king, a calling that on his own he is certainly inadequate for. He's going to need to rely on God. And God goes over the top to assure him of his love. The question will be, will Saul listen and allow God's providence and God's empowerment to strengthen his soul, or will he listen to his critics, his insecurities? Will he let his fears be the loudest voices in his life, or will he have the faith to believe that when God calls, God empowers. What about you? We, like Saul, are full of fears and insecurities. And we too have critics, don't we? Not least of which is the inner critic, which can sometimes be the loudest voice in our lives. And we all have callings on our lives, don't we? Some of which will matter for eternity. And it can seem overwhelming. And there are times in our lives where our external gifts, as strong as they may be, they're just not enough to get us through. Where what we need to know is that God brought us to the place where we are. And that He has power that can work even in the midst of our weakness. And so this text is here and it's going to expose Saul's lack of faith. But it's there to encourage our own. To stir faith in us and to remind us that when God calls, he empowers. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bechorath, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. He had money. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And so Israel had asked for a king, like all the nations, and God gives them Saul. And on the outside, he's got everything going for them. He's from an upstanding and wealthy family. He's super handsome. And he's tall. If there would have been a Mr. Israel contest, he would have been voted Mr. Israel for sure. If there had been a basketball team at Gibeah High School, he would have been the star center. Money, looks, physical impressiveness, it's the kind of thing that we hope for and run for. It's the stuff that we worry about when we don't have it, but will it be the stuff that matters in the end? Verse 3, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, 
Take one of the young men with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. There's a problem on the family farm. The donkeys have gone missing. A pretty big deal when you think about the role donkeys played on the ancient farm. Donkeys were the pickup of the ancient world. So Saul was effectively being asked to go look for a fleet of lost (laughs) F-150s. And who better to look for this extremely important resource than the tall, dark, and handsome son of Kish? Surely, with all of his material wealth and physical resources and natural charm, he will be able to find the lost donkeys. Verse 4. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, and he passed through the land of Shalishah, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Sha'alim, but they were not there. And they passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. They went on this long journey. In the end, they went to five different regions to find these donkeys. Let's just say these must have been fast-moving donkeys. Holy cow. They were moving. But Saul couldn't find them. He tried this spot, that spot, tried again and again. Saul had been given a task, a calling from his father to get the important resources back. But no matter where he goes, he comes up empty. Have you been there? Have you been called to do something by your father? You've tried time and time again and you've come up empty. Failure in the scriptures is a faith revealer. It often is in failure that we figure out whether we have faith or not. Failure can elicit faith. Failure can drive us to our knees. Failure can drive us to reevaluate where we are in life. Or failure can cause us to just give up. What does it cause in Saul? Verse 5. When they went to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back. Lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. What does failure elicit in Saul? Let's go back home. Let's give up. I did my best to find these darn donkeys. These are stealth ninja donkeys. They are impossible to find. Let's go back home. That's what failure caused in Saul's heart. But what about the heart of his servant? Because his servant speaks up in the next verse, verse 6. But his servant said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in the city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he could tell us which way to go. So the servant who is with Saul says, why not ask God? What a crazy idea. Who knows what we might find out? Let's not rely solely on our own gifting. Let's go to God through his prophet. He's close by. 
He's in the neighborhood. Let's see what he has to say about our situation. Saul sees his failure as an opportunity to turn away from his calling. Saul's servant sees the failure as an opportunity to turn towards God and to seek understanding. Sometimes in your failure, what God is doing is he's drawing you to him to finally pray, to finally rely on a wisdom, not your own, on a power, not your own. God is active in our failures to drive us to himself. That is an encouraging thought. What does Saul do with it? Verse 7. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver. That's not very much. I'll give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Again, we see Saul is a negative Nancy. He wants to take his calling, his ball, and go home. Ever been around a person who's just, no, it doesn't matter what happens. It's just never going to work. Oh, it's never going to work. It's never going to happen. It's never going to pan out. It's never going to work out for us. We just better go home. And the servant says, well, I don't have much, but maybe it's enough. Maybe it's enough for the man of God. To be able to tell us which way we should go. And Saul says, well, that sounds all right. Let's do it. Here's the question. In that paragraph, who is the leader and who is the follower? There's absolutely no question. The servant is the leader and Saul is the follower. And this is a picture of Israel's future king. Externally, he has the whole package. Internally, not so much. And this would define Saul's journey. A lack of what he needs on the inside to fulfill his calling. But don't miss the point. Even though that's true, even though he's lacking, he's being provided for every step of the way. Despite Saul's fear, insecurity, hesitance, and lack of preparation, we're going to see God leading him exactly where he needs to be, giving him exactly what he needs to have to do what he's called to do. Now we're not going to get into it, but in verse 11 and 14, there's now a new search. First they were searching for donkeys, and now they're searching for this prophet. And again, they don't know exactly where he's going to be. So they go into this city and they meet a group of women who just happens to know where the prophet is. What a wild coincidence. And then they follow the women's direction and enter into the city they're told to go to. And the first person they meet is Samuel. What a coinky dinky do. It's Samuel, but they don't recognize Samuel. They say, where is Samuel? And Samuel's like, 
Samuel's me. And, and the fact that they don't recognize him speaks volumes because everyone in Israel knew Samuel. Everyone who knew God knew Samuel. In other words, it's been a while since Saul's been in church. <laughs> he doesn't know what the new pastor looks like. The lack of recognition proves that he hasn't been in the house of God for a while, but don't miss what's being revealed. Even when God isn't recognized, he's still at work. How many times has God's provision for us in our calling been right in front of our face, but we couldn't recognize it? He's seeking lost donkeys, but the whole time God has been seeking him. And this is all confirmed in verse 15. Look at it with me. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. It is he who shall restrain my people." There's a lot of interesting things in that paragraph, but what I want you to take away this morning is that God has been in control the whole time. To Saul's experience, his journey had been one of failure, five times failure, all the different regions, which Shashalim and all these other places that he's been to looking for the donkeys. He thought he was a failure. He was called to something, this task, and he had five times failed. But all of that led him to this place where he could meet Samuel. Samuel, who just happens to be the first person in the city, after the women just happened to know exactly where he was, after the, sermon ju- after the servant just happened to have enough money to give to the prophet to tell him what he needs to do, after they went on the failure and just happened to be in the region where they needed to know to meet the prophet. And now God is there saying, the whole time I've been searching for you. The seeker turns out to be the one sought. And so in retrospect, his failures weren't failures at all. But they were necessary steps on this journey to his true calling. Because while Saul was looking for donkeys... And while Samuel was sleeping, God was working, speaking to Samuel in a dream about who Saul was and about who Saul was going to be. And notice this, it was the night before, just at the time when Saul was frustrated, just when Saul was going to give up, just when he was feeling like a failure, when he was ready to quit, the Lord was talking behind his back to his prophet. Saying, I have great plans for Saul. I know Saul's true calling. Tomorrow, you're going to meet the king of Israel. Well, that's cool. 
And Samuel reveals all of this to, to, to Saul in a mysterious way in verse 19. He's, Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for the donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't set your mind on them, for they have been found for whom is more desirable, or for whom is all that is desirable in Israel, is it not for you and for your father's house? And so Samuel reveals to Saul that he's been, he, while he's been looking for donkeys, Samuel has been looking for him with the, the heart to honor him. And in fact, because of what God's going to call him to do, all of Israel will one day honor him. That's kind of an intense thing to say. It's kind of a, a secret way to say you're going to be king someday. But look at Saul's response. 21. Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? It is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribes of Israel. Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Once again, the insecurities of Saul creep in. Saul says, I hear you, but you couldn't be talking to me because I'm a Benjamite. And what you read in the scriptures is that the Benjamites have recently done some pretty terrible stuff at the end of the book of Judges. Their last name would, having the last name Benjamite would have been like a curse word. Somebody who had done a notorious crime and you share their name. No one wanted to sit next to the Benjamite folk at the family reunion. If certainly God couldn't be choosing somebody from the tribe of Benjamin, but this is what God does all the time. And that even when we don't feel worthy, it's not when we have it all together that we receive our call from God. We serve a God who doesn't hold our past against us. So this, so this part of the message isn't for everybody who's got all their T's crossed and their I's dotted. Because there's some despicable stuff in our past. And if people knew our family business, they wouldn't be sitting next to you at the family reunion. Or they wouldn't let you behind the pulpit. But God calls Benjamites. He chooses Benjamites. But Saul has trouble believing that God could use him. In other words, a person of faith would see all that God had done up to this point and say, oh my, God is with me. But Saul doesn't. Unbelieving Israel is about to crown the king they deserve. And throughout the passage, as you read it this afternoon, you'll see that God tries to reinforce the fact that he's with Saul. There's this mysterious meal that's happened that's been pre-prepared for Saul. And Saul gets to be at the honored place at the feast. And the next morning, Saul just, or Samuel just stops all the subterfuge and just comes out to say, listen, 
Nimwit. You're going to be king. We're going to make you king. And I'm going to anoint you with oil. And if that wasn't enough, he gives Saul three signs. Let's read the text together. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tombs in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there farther and come to the Ork of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine, all very detailed. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, and you shall accept it from their hands. And after that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp and tambourine and flute and lyre before them prophesying then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do. In other words, do what I'm calling you to do for God is with you. So that sounds like something out of a spy novel. Here's the deal, Saul, you're going to leave and you're going to come to Rachel's tomb and there's going to be some people there and this is what they're going to say and then that's going to happen. And then you're going to meet some new people and they're going to have goats and bread and stuff and they're going to give you some of it but some of it they're not going to give. And then you're going to go and there's going to be these prophets that come down the hill and they're going to be prophesying. And who knows what that, what, are they telling the future? Are they, they're in an ecstatic state of worship overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. And Saul, that's going to happen. Though you haven't been in church for a long time, the Spirit of the Lord is going to rush upon you and overwhelm you. And you are going to become another man before, because God is with you. A couple of phrases that are really interesting in that little paragraph. One is the Spirit of the Lord is with you. And that's It's a line from the book of the Judges that the Lord gives all of these insecure leaders like Gideon to say, I'm going to be with you. The Spirit of Lord will come upon you to change your mind. And then there's this line, just God is with you. God is with you. And that takes us back all the way to the the beginning of the book of Joshua. Which opens up with just that statement. Moses is dead and Joshua's in charge and Joshua is struggling with his fears and inadequacies compared to Moses. And there's this line that God gives him. The angel of the Lord shows up and says, Joshua, all you have to do is trust God. He will make you adequate. God is with you. 
The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. God is with you, given signs like Gideon received to assure him of his calling. And all of this echoing the myriad of ways that God has empowered his inadequate, insecure, fearful people before. God trying to let him know that I can give you the power to accomplish anything I'm calling you to do. And how does the story end? Verse 10. When they came to Gibeah, behold, well, the first, so in verse 9 it says, all this stuff happened. All the weird bread, prophet, and other stuff happened. Then verse 10. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied before him. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. And apparently his uncle's there because verse 14, Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where did you go? And he said to seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, he went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, well, please tell me what Samuel said to you. Now think of everything that Samuel had said to Saul. And look what Saul says to his uncle. He told us plainly, that the donkeys have been found. Period. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. He shrinks back again. This is the Cliff's Notes version that everything that had come to pass came to pass. What amazing confirmation of God's call. And then Saul meets one group of critics. And they sound a lot like the way that people would talk about Jesus. Who is this man? We know his father. We know where he came from. We know his past. We know what he's about. God could never be with him. And that had to feed into his fear and insecurity. Because we, and we know it did because he meets his uncle And his uncle says, what's the deal? What happened? And think about all that happened. Everything that Saul had learned about God controlling his past. Everything that he had learned about God's ability to predict the future. What he had learned about God's ability in the present to rush upon him by his spirit. To give him the power to do what he's called to do. And what he says is the guy told me about the donkeys. All of these events, the meal prepared beforehand, the anointing oil, the amazing signs, the gripping of the Spirit, are designed to give Saul the support he needs to walk into the unknown by faith. It's designed to give you what you need to walk into the unknown By faith. And so we find ourselves wondering, will Saul ever get it? Is he ever going to have what's necessary to trust God by faith and obey? 
And of course, you're going to have to come back next week to find all out the answers <laughs> to those questions. But in short, a few words of application. There are some of us who, have, who in our callings have been operating out of our own strength. We've been relying on our own gifts. But inside there is a storm of fear and insecurity. And you have the option now, which is to double down on your own gifts and to feel that it's when we feel like a fake because we're presenting strong, but in, we're inside we're so weak. Or you can just give up and take your calling and go home. But this chapter would leave us to different conclusions. What if you turned to the Word of God? What if you turned to the man of God? What if you turned to God himself and began to rely on him and not on your own strength? Because in our weakness, we find a strength that we could never have for just relying on ourselves. And then there's a group of us who just don't feel worthy to be called to much. We've got a past What does it look like for you to know that God can empower you? That no matter what your story is, no matter how many times you've blown it, no matter how many times you've rejected God, it may have been a while since you've been in the house of God. You may not recognize the new pastor. No matter how many times you've made a mess of things, God will never reject you. If you love Jesus, God will never reject. There is no B team in God's kingdom. There is no minor league in the kingdom of God. Even if you are traveling down the wrong path, you failed five different times, know that God is leading you to a new calling. He's going to help you fulfill your calling. And for all of us, he would ask us to consider All that God has done for us. Can we not all look into the rearview mirror and see God's hand? Guiding our paths. Creating a story that's full of hardship, sorrow, but also beauty and provision. Bringing us exactly where we're supposed to be. Can we give him thanks for all that he's done for us? We may not have a prophet telling us that we're going to go meet some goats and we're going to get some bread or whatever but he's given us signs hasn't he we have an empty tomb we have a cross we have jesus himself and his words to us and we need those confirmations because we all have critics naysayers sometimes external critics and sometimes it's the voice inside But what 1 Samuel would tell us is stop expecting everybody to validate you. There is one voice that matters. And it is the voice of Jesus. And you know what it says? Beloved, chosen, and called. So why are you tripping over folks that don't matter? Everybody isn't going to validate you. It takes one voice. The voice of the Lord. And so the question left is whether 
the story of our life as a Christian will be defined by fear, by failure, by insecurity, or whether it will be defined by faith and the voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved servant of whom I am well pleased. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the narrative of 1 Samuel and all that it teaches us about your provision and care for us. We think about all that you've done for Saul to lead him through failures uh, with all of his external gifts and all the places that he was lacking to a place of greater um, defined calling. How you, d- how you looked into his future and said, I know your future too. It's also in my hands. And how you took him in a moment and your spirit rushed upon him to give him all that he needed to be able to meet his calling. We all have callings on our lives, Lord. And you are leading us and you are guiding us. And we're in the place of Saul except that we want to have faith. We want to meet these provisions with faith. Because we got to parent these kids. <laughs> we got to love these spouses. We got to do these jobs. We got to make it to glory. And we need your help. And so, would you, Lord, help us, guide us, lead us? We give you thanks and praise for 1 Samuel. May your voice ring loud in our hearts this morning. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.